Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We start a new series this week, um, six weeks, and it's called Word to the Wise. And in this series, I'm going to teach you one question, and you're probably going to get sick of hearing me say this. You'll probably be sick of hearing me say it by the end of this message. Uh, imagine by the end of six weeks, you're going to really be tired of it, but um, you, you might ask, Brett, why are you going to spend six weeks on the same question? Why, do you, why are you trying to make us tired of the question already? Because my hope and prayer for this series has been that, that y- your life will be changed after you learn what you're going to learn in the next six weeks, that it will help you navigate life better, that your life decisions will be better, and, and therefore your life will be better. This question should bring clarity to complex situations. It should bring clarity to you specifically. It can become a very personal question. This question can save you a lot of time, a lot of tears, a lot of heartache, a lot of money. Might save you some embarrassment along the way, so it's worth it just for that alone for me because I don't like to be embarrassed. In fact, I think that if you were to go back and superimpose this question, if you went back to whatever your greatest regret is in life, you know, that date or that relationship or that weekend or, you know, that vacation, that convention, that trip to Vegas, whatever, whatever it is for you, spring break, if you were to go back to that event, that week, that season, and superimpose this question on the decision-making that went into whatever that deep regret is for you, you would probably have been able to have avoided your deepest regret simply by asking and proposing and applying this one question. So to begin with this morning, I'm gonna, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll get there in a little bit. It's going to take me a minute or two. You may be here and you may be a skeptic. Well, I talked to the skeptics last week during Easter, and I want to, if you've come back, I want to talk to you again. You may be here, and you may be skeptical about the Bible, skeptical about Jesus. You know, um, maybe you're here and you're curious. Maybe you're here just because someone invited you and you didn't want to say no to them, and you're here and you're like, I really don't buy any of this, and I don't really want to hear any of this. I, I Listen, I, I understand. I respect you. I, I don't... I. You, you are where you are for some reason, and, and maybe we can help you today. I don't know. But here's what I'm going to ask you today for just a minute or two, just for the time we have together. If you're a skeptic this morning, and, you know, people ask me sometimes, Brett, why do you talk to skeptics? Are you sure that there are any in the crowd? Trust me. In a crowd this size, there's always a skeptic. There are people that have gone to church for years that are skeptics, right? So, so if you're here and I'm describing you, I just want you to know we respect you. We, we're, we're glad you're with us. You're among friends. We don't look down our noses at you. We're not unhappy that you're here. We, we don't think you're weird or strange or stupid. I, I respect your intellect, okay? And I, I just, I just, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Just take your skepticism and lay it to the side for just a few minutes. And then when you walk out, you can pick it back up again and, and, and go on your merry way. But I'm hoping to arrest some of it this morning with what we say. Here's what I want you to know about this guy that wrote the book of Ephesians. His name was Paul. He, he will eventually become the Apostle Paul, and you've probably heard of him. He is a historical guy. He is a central figure to Christianity, and um, everybody believes that there was an Apostle Paul. I mean, nobody, you don't hardly run into anybody that doesn't believe that there was an Apostle Paul. He wrote about half of our New Testament and the Apostle Paul steps onto the pages of history 
not as the apostle Paul. He steps onto the pages of history as a man named Saul who is out to destroy Christianity. Okay? So the apostle Paul, before he was that, his name was Saul. So if you're here today and you're a skeptic, I want you to understand you have very much in common with the Apostle Paul before he came to Christ. He was a skeptic. He was a doubter just like you. He wasn't sure about the whole Jesus thing. In fact, he steps onto the pages of history absolutely committed to eradicating Christianity. Paul was a Jewish leader. He saw Christianity as some kind of a knockoff of a, like a cult of some kind off of the, uh, the, the Jewish faith. He, he wasn't a fan at all. And his singular goal in life was to eradicate Christianity. Uh, Paul got permission from Jewish leaders to go around arresting Christians. He would try to murder them if he thought he could get away with it. He definitely wanted them in prison. And he was convinced that if he could take about a year or so, he could get rid of Christianity. And the New Testament tells us that on a single day, he went from doubting from being a skeptic, from being someone who didn't believe in Jesus and thought the whole thing was a scam and thought that it was all nonsense, to becoming a follower of Jesus, okay? It happened in one day. It wasn't over the course of time. It wasn't some process. He went from Christian hunter to being a Christian and pretty soon after that becoming a leader of of the church fairly quickly. The, The conversion was an overnight thing. Uh, He went from arrest them and put them to death to spending the rest of his life trying to help people come to faith in Jesus. Now, you ask yourself, how how does that happen? Because here's here's what that's like. Let me put this in terminology that you will definitely understand, okay? That would be like you waking up tomorrow morning and getting ready to go to work and you put on your, you know, you're doing whatever you do to get ready to go to work. You get in your car, you're driving to work, and on the way to work, you decide, I'm going to switch political parties. I'm no longer going to believe the things that I have believed with this political party. I've supported those platforms. I've believed in those politicians. I've, I mean, you may have even given them money. I've done all this. I'm, I, this is what I believe. This is who I am. This is what I like. These are the people I hang out with. And you decide that you're going to switch and you're going to go to the other side. And not only are you going to leave your political friends behind, your political party and all that stuff, and stop sending money to that side, you're going to start sending money to this side, and you're going to try to get as many people from this party to go to this party instead. How we doing? And right now, this is what's going through your mind. Brett, it would take an act of God for me to do that, right? I know some of you. I know exactly what you're thinking right now. Like, Brett's doing crack right now is what Brett's doing. That's what it was like for Paul. That's exactly what happened to Paul. Um, You know, he he decided, I'm going to go to the other side. And not only am I going to go to the other side, I'm going to try to recruit as many people as I can to go with me. And Paul would say, that's exactly what happened to me. It happened overnight. It wasn't a process. It wasn't a long thing. See, if you're here and you're a skeptic, this is what I'd tell you. The life of Paul is one of the greatest um, things that I could show you to try to convince you that Jesus is real. Now, there are a lot of things I could show you if you gave me the time, if you would have a conversation with me, 
There's a lot of stuff I'd like to talk to you about to try and, and, and maybe make a dent in some of your skepticism. And if you ever want to do that, I'd, let me know. I'd love to do that. But um, one of the, I mean, I, I would talk to you about the, the resurrection and I would, I would want to talk to you about the life of Paul. Here's why. Paul comes to Christ. First of all, he's this person that's trying to kill Christians and he comes to Christ. <clears throat> He begins to travel all throughout his known world. He goes into cities where he doesn't know hardly anybody. And he establishes these churches. He's going up to people constantly telling them about Jesus. He's had this experience. It's, it, it, he didn't do this because he, he had faith. He didn't do this because it was, you know, he thought it was a good idea. He did this because he had seen something. And people were trying to say, Paul, you didn't see what you saw. And he's like, don't tell me what I saw. I know what I saw. This wasn't, wasn't doing it because of what he believed. He was doing it because of what he'd seen. And he would go into these cities and he would establish these churches. He would talk to people about the Lord. Sometimes these people would not be hospitable to his ideas and they would beat him. They would imprison him. They would flog him. He goes through this list of things. He talks about being shipwrecked and bitten by snakes and, and, and beaten and flogged and thrown in prison and left for dead, stoned. I mean, all these things that happened to the Apostle Paul. And Because here's what I know about, about Brett. Here's what I know about Brett. You scourge me one time, tell me to shut up, I'm probably not going to say a whole lot more, right? Wouldn't take much to shut you up if you, if you think, no, I could handle a scourging. Then you don't understand what a scourging is, okay? It was a horrible thing. Paul went through several of those. Paul got mistreated like crazy, and he just was relentless in this drive, in this pursuit to let people know that Jesus was real and that he had lived and he'd been crucified and he'd been raised from the dead. And so, you know, it just, yeah, it leaves you begging the question, how does that happen? So if you're here today, and maybe you're a skeptic, you might say that you're not a believer. You might say, I don't believe in the Bible. The good news is, what I'm going to teach you today, you don't have to believe the Bible in order for you to implement what I'm going to teach you today. Now, I know that sounds strange. I'm a preacher, and you expect me to use the Bible to make my points, and, and everything's Bible, Bible, Bible. And normally that's the case. But today, it's in the Bible, but this is not something that you even have to believe the Bible to, to hear it and go, but that's really good advice, and maybe I should follow that. Um, this has everything to do with listening to a man who lived in the first century. And if you're a skeptic, understand he was just like you. He was just like you. This has everything to do with listening to a man that at one time believed the same things about Jesus that you do, who became a Christian, went around convincing other people to follow Jesus. And this, this guy was, you know, he was um, a friend of the people that had hung out with Jesus. He, he starts to hang out with them. He wrote what, he's, what we're going to read today in the mid-50s of the first century, okay? Mid-50s of the first century. You say, Brett, why, is, what, why are you telling me that? I want to put it in a proximity of time for you. So this is about 20 or 25 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Proximity of time for us would be go back to 9-11 or a little further. Okay. Now, many of us were alive during 9-11. You probably can remember exactly where you were and what you were doing and what your first thoughts were when you heard or if you, know, if you were watching television you saw things happening and unfolding. You probably can remember the emotions that you had. What I'm trying to get you to see is that it's not that long ago. This is relatively, 
9-11 for us is very fresh in world history for us. It ju- basically, it just happened. And so as Paul writes what he's writing, this is just a couple of decades after Jesus. And, and so Paul is writing this, it's, it's historically fresh for the people. Let me say one more thing before we look at this. Even if you don't take the Bible seriously or you don't take Christianity seriously, you should take this question seriously because as you're going to see, there's something in it for all of us. The good news is if you're not a Christian, (laughs) you can listen to me and go, that dude's crazy, I'm leaving, I don't have to do that. But if you're a Christian, you don't have that option. If you're a Christian, the Lord expects you to do what we're going to talk about this morning. Um... Paul is writing this letter. It's called Ephesians. That's the name that gets put on the letter. But this letter we know was read by a lot of different churches in the area. In fact, it was read all around the Mediterranean Rim. And so this letter had a lot of eyes on it. It's, it's, um, it's trying to help Christians to know how to live after they have come to Christ, after they've placed their faith in Jesus, what does it mean for my life? How do I, what are the, you know, how do I, I don't like using the term, what are the rules, because I don't, Christianity to me is not a bunch of rules. If, if that's the way you see Christianity, you see it wrong. Uh, Christianity is not about rules. Christianity is about being set free. And, and if you need help with that, come talk to me and I can help you understand that. But this is Paul trying to help people understand how they've been set free and how, you know, what, what does it look like to be a Jesus follower? And he basically says things like, you used to be in darkness, but now you're in light. You used to deceive each other. I don't want you to deceive each other anymore. But now you're a Jesus follower. Don't do some of those things that led to bad decisions. Don't do that anymore. There's a better way. I want you to see the better way. Now, how you treat people. Don't treat people the way people treat you. Treat them better than that. And so he's talking to them about a different way of life. He talks about deceit. He talks about morality, the way they talk about each other. And it's all very, very practical. And Paul's smart. Paul says, listen, I know that I don't know some of you. I know that, um, you know, you're some distance away and some of us have never met. And, um, you know, and, and this is tough. So um, we live in a culture that's, that's hard to live in. And so he's trying to help them understand Um, how to navigate the culture because the culture they live in and the culture we live are not dissimilar. In fact, they're very similar. Uh, The kind of transparency, the kind of honesty, the kind of morality that is taught in Christianity is our culture is not conducive to that. Neither was Paul's. And so he was trying to help him with it. And so Paul backs up a little bit and he says, let me Let me give you some baby steps, and and if you will just begin to look at every opportunity, at every decision, at every invitation that you receive, if you will just apply this one lens to any of those things, it's going to give you a head start on a better life. And it will be a baby step to living as someone who is in the kingdom of light as opposed to someone who is living in the kingdom of darkness. So we're going to look at a couple of verses, and then we're going to talk about the question. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 says, Be very careful, then, how you live. Now, that word live could actually be translated walk. In fact, you may have a Bible translation that that's what it says. It doesn't say live. It says walk. And then you see that, uh, be very careful, then, how you live. That Greek word careful, it's, it's actually a visual term. It's a visual word. Uh, the, the Greek word is blepete, blepete, 
careful. You know, look around. It doesn't mean careless. It means be careful. Um, Dee Dee and I live just behind the house. We live on the property here, and, and it, behind our house to the west is, there's a, our land goes all the way back to the ball fields back there. Um, and so if you look at the south side of our property, there's, um, there's a bunch of trees, and in those trees there are a bunch of deer. And so late at night, you know, the sun goes down, the, the deer will come out, it's really neat to watch them. Um, and then sometimes in the morning you'll see them, that they've even, you know, you look out your window and like there are deer staring at you, it's pretty crazy. But, um, and so you've heard me talk about, Dee Dee and I have a little dog named Piper. She's a little Italian greyhound, fast, fast. Um, she ever doesn't want to come back to me, I'm never getting her back because she's, I can't catch her. So once in a while, every day, Piper has to go outside a couple times a day. It's, it's, a, it's a need for her, okay? It's like, I've got to go run. So we will have a little routine, and I'll go check and make sure the deer aren't out, because if there are deer out, I am never getting her back. Um, so I'd make sure that the deer aren't out, and if the deer aren't out, I'll let the dog out. And she goes and runs, and she chases birds and butterflies, and it's just a beautiful life to be an Italian greyhound in our house. And sometimes she goes to the end of the property, and she doesn't want to come back. And I'll call, and I'll whistle, and I'll clap, and I'll do all the things, and she's not persuaded, which means I'm going to have to get closer and, and get into a, a deeper, you know, meaner voice, like, you know, come on, let's, you know, all that. Well, if I do that, I'm, I'm typically walking to the end of the property, I have to be careful where I step because all along the way, the deer have left presents for me. Does that make sense? And there are piles everywhere. It's amazing how many piles there are. And so you just find yourself playing hopscotch, you know, back to get the dog. Um, I have to blapete. I have to be careful. I have to um, pay attention to what I'm doing. Uh, Dee Dee hates it when I say this, but it's really true. She goes out by herself sometimes and I'm constantly saying to her, head on a swivel. She's like, Brett, I know, head on a swivel. I'm like, stop mocking me. It's important to me. Put your head on a swivel. Pay attention. Be aware of your surroundings, okay? Be careful. I care about you. I love you. I want you to come home to me. Be careful. Put your head on a swivel. That's what Paul's saying. Put your head on a swivel. Be careful. Look out. As you walk through life, I want you to be very careful. I want you to look down. I want you to look around. Look behind. Be very careful. Do not be careless how you live your life. And then he says this, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And what he does here is he equates unwise with careless and wise with careful. So unwise is whatever, you know, do whatever with whomever, however you want, whenever you want. He says that's careless. That's, that's unwise. But careful is you're going to think about where you step. You're going to think about where you step and with whom and when you do it and what are the circumstances around it. Put your head on a swivel. Verse 16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now in a couple of weeks we're going to come back and we're going to talk about this, but for now just know that this is a time word. This points to a point in time. Paul's saying, I want you to take advantage of every opportunity. Another way he might say this is, redeem the time. You may have heard somebody say that or heard that in a sermon. Redeem, I want you to redeem the time. You have a limited amount of time, and time is your greatest asset. Think about it. 
time is one of the greatest assets you have because once you spend it, you cannot get it back. The seconds that are in front of you right now, once they're gone, they're gone. You don't get those back. It's, it's, time is a precious thing to us. It's, it's irreplaceable. So Paul says, the way I want you to live your life is to be careful to look around to be wise and make good use of your time. And then look at this phrase, because the days are evil. The days are evil. What does he mean by that? He's saying you live in a time where if you just lifted up your feet and you flowed with culture and you just went wherever culture took you, eventually you're going to end up someplace that you don't want to be. You're going to end up relationally in a place you don't want to be if you just lift your feet up culturally and let yourself go relationally where the culture takes you. If you do that financially, you're going to end up financially in places you don't want to be. If you do that with your kids, with your spouse, with your, your, your profession, Paul says, look, the days we live in, these, there are currents that are taking us in directions that we don't want to go, so you can't be careless, you can't just go with the flow, because going with the flow is going to lead you to a place that you don't want to be. The days are evil, which means you've got to be careful to live not as unwise, but as wise, and make the most of every opportunity. And then he says something to Christians that if you're not a Christian, you don't have to do this, but unfortunately, as Christians, we have to pay attention to this. He comes after us a little bit. He gets tough with us. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What, what, it's kind of a dig at those of us who are followers of Jesus because here's what I can tell you about Christians, and if you've been a Christian very long, you know this. This isn't new information. We are experts at loopholes, aren't we? We figure out what we want. We figure out if Jesus is in the way, and then we figure out a loophole to get what we want. And we can justify, and we can talk about how much we prayed about it, and how I just have a peace. Oh, I have a peace about it. You know, it's okay because I have a peace. Well, no, what did, God, what did Jesus say about it? Well, Jesus said no, but I have a peace. You know, <laughs> no, okay. No. You, you know, it's, and this is what it sounds like. Well, I know that's what it says, but, boy, I'm spitting like crazy. <laughs> I know that's what it says, but. I know that's what she called me to do, but. You know, I know that it's probably the right thing to do, but. See, we, we, we look for loopholes. So Paul, because he knows the way we think, he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but then he gives us this word, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, the reason I have that but circled like that is because that is a really important word in this in this. Um, particular verse because the word he chooses here there's a couple of different words in the greek language that you can use that say but but this is the big but okay i'm just seeing if you're paying attention that's all this is this is ayah ayah if you want to speak some greek that's the greek word ayah it's it's the big but it's a huge contrast it's here's what he's saying in contrast he's saying don't be stupid don't be foolish don't deceive yourself don't look for the loopholes literally if you will you face up to will you own up to will you tell yourself the truth and live up to and face up to what the lord's will is for you he's saying listen you know you know what's the right thing to do 
you, you don't need really to be convinced. If you just would think about it a little bit, you know the difference between right and wrong. You know what going with the culture is going to lead you to. You know what happens when you pick up your feet and you just flow with everything and go wherever the, the current takes you. Understand or face up to what the Lord's will is for you. You can talk yourself into stuff. You can talk yourself out of stuff. Don't do that. Stop and pause and face up to what is God's will for your life. And, and then when you figure out what that is, just do that. And you're going to be better off. Now, that's what the verses are teaching. But the central thrust of, of what I'm talking about this morning is right here in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So that's the litmus test for every invitation, for every opportunity that we have to, to go somewhere or do something, for every invitation that we get. The, the, the litmus test isn't what's everybody else doing? Well, what did I do the last time? Is it legal? Those, that's not the test. The question, this is the question that we're, we're, so now we're here, okay? This is the question that we're going to spend six weeks on that by the time we're done, you're going to be, you're going to think, thank God this series is over. But I've been praying for you for a week now, solid. I've been, all week, I've been praying for you, God, I, I want them to get this question. I really want them to make this a part of who they are and what's their life. Here's the question. What is the wise thing for me to do? What is the wise thing for me to do? That's what we're going to focus on for six weeks, and you're probably going to get tired of it. So for the next uh, several minutes, we're going to look at this in three aspects because uh, here's what we all know. The easiest person in the world for us to deceive is ourselves, right? We can, we can fool ourselves. We can lie to ourselves. We can deceive ourselves. And here's the thing. Very few of us look back on our worst decisions and go, boy, I just really don't know how I got there. Right? You look at your worst decisions, you know how you got there. Here's, here's how it happens. You make one bad decision, and that one bad decision isn't necessarily illegal. It's not, you know, somebody could catch you making that one bad decision and say, why are you doing that? You, and you'd have a reason for it. And then you make another bad decision. And again, it's not necessarily illegal or, you know, you could, you've got an explanation. But then, you know, after about three or four of those and you stack those up and then you make the one decision based on those others and then you've got yourself a mess on your hands and you've got this thing. And, and so here's the, here's the formula. Unwise plus unwise plus unwise decisions equals a big fat mess, okay? And you can just look back on your life and go, yep, unwise. I mean, come on. Paul says, come on, we're adults here. Let's just wise up. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Let's, let's tell ourselves the truth. Let's face up to what we know God's will is. And with every invitation, every opportunity, every decision, ask yourself the question, what is the wise thing to do? So let's look at this in three dimensions, okay? We'll look at this three different ways this morning. First one is this. In light of my past experience, what is the wise thing to do? See, here's the thing. Your past is your past. It's not my past. My past is my past, and it's not your past. 
Okay? There are things that you can do. They're not illegal. It's not wrong. It's, it's, you know, there's just, there are things that you can do that in light of my past and in light of things that maybe I've struggled with or that, are, that don't come easy for me or you know, are triggering for me or whatever that I can't do. Okay? Likewise, there are some things that I might be able to do that aren't wrong, aren't, you know, I'm not hurting God, or I'm, you know, God's not disappointed. There are things that I could do that you maybe couldn't do because of some things in your past. And you would say, Brett, if I go there, if I hang out with them, if I do that, it's bad for me. I'll, I'll make decisions. I'll, I'll end up in a bad place. You know, it's, it's the whole thing, you know, see what happened the last time I went there? Oh, you know, it was, yes, I, I remember it was horrible. What happened the last time she called you and you called her back? Oh, it was terrible. What, what happened the last time you went to that place with those people? Oh, Brett, it was crash and burn. It was the worst thing, right? In light of your specific past experience, what is the wise thing to do? Do you know why history keeps repeating itself with you financially? You know why history keeps repeating itself with you relationally? It's because you don't ask the question and you somehow think that you can do what you did the last time and the result is going to be different this time. And here's why you think that, because we believe we, cannot, we can control all the outcomes. You know, we, we say stuff like this, I can handle it. Parents, how many of you have heard this? Oh, mom, I know what I'm doing. But this time will be different. He looks at his wife and he says, I know what I'm doing. Hold my beer. Right? Watch this. And she's like, oh, here we go. Paul says, come on. Don't be stupid. Know what the Lord's will is. You know, in light of your past experience, not what is the right thing to do, even though that's a great question. This is, you know, this is a better question than that. Not, is this legal? This is a What's the wise thing to do is a way better question than is it legal. In light of past experience, what is the wise thing, not for everybody else, in light of my past experience, what is the wise thing for me to do? You hate that, don't you? Do you know why you hate this? <clears throat> because before this question came up, things might be just a little fuzzy. And when it's a little fuzzy, you've got an excuse to make a bad decision. But see, when you start asking a question like this, suddenly the mist clears, the cloud lifts, there's clarity to everything, and it's very clear what should be done. The clouds part, and it's like, okay, if I'm going to make a bad decision on what's wise from my past experience, unfortunately, I know I can't do this. And I know exactly what I should do, and I know exactly who I shouldn't invite, and I know exactly where I should and should not go, and who I should go and not go with. Not in light of everybody else's past experience, but what's the wise thing to do when I look at my own past experience? If you want history to stop repeating itself in your life, you have to ask yourself this question. In light of my past experience, what's the wise thing for me to do? Now, that's the first one. Here's the second one. In light of my current circumstances, what's the wise thing for me to do? You just got married. 
And before, you used to go off with your buds. For the last 15 years, you've gone off with your buds to the Gulf of Mexico for a two-week vacation in May, and now you're married. These are your current circumstances. Do you really think it's the wisest thing for you to do? To traipse off to the Gulf of Mexico with your buds for a a two-week vacation without your wife? Now again, you may be going down there to pray. Your reason for going might not necessarily be bad or illegal or, or any of those things. It's not like it before when you went down there it was a mistake. It's not like you, you did anything that you were ashamed of. or It's not like any of that stuff. But in light of your current circumstances, what's the wise thing to do? You just went through a really, really tough divorce. And now you're, you're ready for something or somebody new and you, you've met him or you've met her, and and in light of your current circumstances, in light of your current vulnerabilities, in light of where you are right now emotionally, what is the wise thing to do? Not forever. Not for everybody else. Just for you. You have not done well this semester in school. And you really need to finish strong. You need to lock yourself in a room and do your home. You've got projects due. You've got book reports. You've got term papers. You really need to get it done. You, you can't divert your attention. And you just found out that all your friends are going to take a weekend off and they're going to a lake house. It's going to be a ball. And you would love to go. In light of my current circumstances, I, have got, I cannot finish this poorly in school. I've got to do better than what my grades show right now. I would love to go to the lake with my friends, but in light of my current circumstances, what is the wise thing for me to do? I just started a new job. I just moved. I just, we just had our first baby. It isn't right or wrong. It's not as this legal or illegal. This isn't what is everybody else doing. In light of your current circumstances, with your debt, with your friends, with your current living situation, your current employment situation, right now, what is the wise thing for you to do? I was asking myself this question financially about a month ago. Something that I wanted, Didi can tell you, generally if I want something and I can afford it, I just go get it. That's why I'm not the person to look to for your financial help. (laughs) But like I said, this question has really improved my life. And I wanted to, there was something that I wanted, and and it was not a massive purchase, but it was significant. And I asked this question. In light of current circumstances, not in everybody else's life, just in, in light of your current circumstances, Brett, is that really a wise thing for you to do? And you know what I said next? Dang it. Right? Because the wise thing is put your money back in your pocket. The wise thing is, hey, not right now. Not right now. Not with current circumstances being what they are. Now, your current circumstances may offer you the opportunity to go make some purchase like that and, and have the time of your life. But I'm telling you, that wasn't the case for me. Doesn't this bring extraordinary, some might say even an uncomfortable clarity to your life situation? And isn't it easy for us to say, I I think it's going to be right, it's going to be all right, I do this every year. Yeah, and that's why you're in the shape you're in. 
That's why this is a good question. The third one is, you probably know where this is going, that this may be the most powerful and the most dynamic of the three. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? Here's the thing. We are all old enough at this point, most of us in the room are old enough to be able to point back to some decisions we've made. And we could say, you know what, that decision robbed me of some future hopes and dreams. There are some things that I envisioned for my life, and that decision way back there when I was in my 20s, or maybe in my teens, or maybe in my 30s, that affected how my future hopes and dreams are going to turn out. What a tragedy to trade in tomorrow something that trade your tomorrow in for something that you're clinging to today that you know you're not going to want tomorrow to, to say you know what i'm gonna uh, this isn't the greatest thing but i you know i love it so much i'm just going to hang on to it knowing that what you're hanging on to is going to keep you from getting to what it is that you really want uh, at the very end of the rainbow what a tragedy to trade a future relationship for a relationship that i have now that i already know is not going to be there in the future I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I have seen this in people's life where I can see as plain, and you've probably seen it, you don't have to be a pastor to see this, anybody can see this. You can see it in someone's life. They're clinging to something here that is going to keep them from getting to what they really want in their future, and they're not asking this question. It's always a bad idea to trade in your future for something that you're hanging on to now that you will not want in your future. Just this component by itself is enough to change the trajectory of your entire life. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? And here's the thing. Some of us run around with people. Some of us hang out with people whose future hopes and dreams don't extend beyond two weeks. They live their life to get paid and to go to the weekend and have a ball. They live their life for the next concert, for the next event, for the next, you know, week party or whatever it is. They, don't, they have not looked beyond that. That's all they think about. And when you hitch your wagon to someone who is not thinking about their future hopes and dreams, they are, they are going to, what's the word I'm looking for, torpedo your hopes and dreams. You have a vision for your life. The worst thing you can do is to allow people around you who don't have hopes and dreams to drag you down into the muck and mire and for you to not get what you really want at the end. Why in the world would you trade your future for something or someone who is not going to be there for you years from now? See, this is a better question than, is it right, isn't it? This is a better question than, is this legal? What did we do last summer? What did we do last time? In light of where you want to be someday, in light of your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for you to do? Not for everybody else, because they don't necessarily share your hopes and dreams. You want a better marriage than you saw out of your parents? Do you want a better career than, than you're seeing out of some of the people that you went to high school with? Do you want to be secure financially in the future? Then it determines what you do today. Not what can I get by with, what is the wise thing to do? Those of you with some life experience, don't you wish you'd been asking this question earlier in your life? 
Aren't there some things that if you had heard this, I wish I'd heard this when I was younger. Don't you wish you'd heard this when you were like 14? Someone sat you down and said, hey, listen, you know, you got to think about what you're, what's going on in the past. You got to think about what's going on now. And you really got to think about what's going to happen in the future. But see, the thing, wasn't it Mark Twain that said youth is wasted on the young? I think he said that. Because we say this stuff to our kids and they don't, they can't, they don't hear it. It takes wisdom sometimes to, to hear this, right? It's not just asking the question, though. It's acting on it. So you got to act on it. Whether you're a Christian or not, religious or not, isn't it true that you would probably be better off if you had asked this question and acted on the question relationally, financially, parentally, emotionally? Personal vision often is often the catalyst for wise decisions. That's why it's a really good thing for you to make something like a, a, a New Year's resolution. That's why it's a good thing for you to have goals. That's why good, it's a good thing, you know, if you write something down where you can see it and you think, you know, that's, that's what I'm shooting for. Because personal vision is often the catalyst for wise decisions. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? Not for everybody, just for me. So let's put this all together. I'd like for you to say this with me. Let's put this on the screen. Let's, let's put it all together in, in one fell swoop. In light of, say this with me. In light of my past experience, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? Game changer. Now listen, I know, I know what somebody's thinking right now. You're sitting there thinking, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. Forget them, okay? They're not here. This is for you. If it, listen, we're going to talk about this for five more weeks. Get them here. They'll hear this question over and over again. Get them here. Listen, nobody plans to screw up their life. Nobody does. The problem is they just don't plan not to. This is, this is a question about how you plan not to. Nobody gets married the first time thinking about their second marriage. Nobody goes into business or does some financial thing thinking about bankruptcy. Nobody does that. Nobody goes into a relationship thinking about how they can mess up the relationship and make it unhealthy. Nobody plans to wreck and ruin their lives. They just don't plan not to. This is how you plan not to. Every invitation Every opportunity, every decision, say it with me, in light of my past experience, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? You ask this question over and over, you're going to have less tears, less regret, less pains, more money. It'll foolproof your relationships. You will absolutely have more money, trust me. This is the better question. Are you really surprised? That a God who loves you and says, I want to function as your heavenly father, should we be surprised that throughout the Old and New Testament we are called not to what we can get by with, not with you know, what's legal, but what is the wise thing to do? So let me, I'm going to give you some homework. Okay, This is the homework. And it's easy. I simply want you to ask the question. Just ask the question. Now, you don't even have to do it, all right? You don't have to do what the question, what the answer says. I just want you to ask. Now, you, you may be a real go-getter, okay? Self-starter, and you're like, no, Brett, I'm going to ask it, and I'm going to do it. That'd be great. 
I'm just asking you right now, I'm not even asking you to make any decisions, just ask the question. I just want you to start a new habit with every invitation, every opportunity, every decision. What is the wise thing for me to do? You owe it to yourself to know what the answer to that question is going to be, whether you do anything about it or not. And here's what I already know. When you ask the question, you're going to learn something about yourself. So teenagers... Here's what's going to happen. You're going to ask the question, what's the wise thing to do? And you want to know the scary part? It's going to sound eerily familiar to what your parents have been saying. (laughs) Now, teenagers, hang with me. If you're in here, you're probably in with Andrew, but if you're in here, just pay attention. I I got you, okay? I got you. I'm not saying you got to do anything about it. I'm just saying that when you ask what's the wise thing to do and it comes back and it sounds like what your parents have been saying, you just learned something. You just learned something. And you just step back and you go, okay, so what does that mean for me here? Now, I'm done. But I got one last thing I want to say. If you find yourself pushing back on this, and you find yourself saying, Brett, I'm not asking that question. I'm just not, I'm just, you know, nice try, but I'm not doing it. Then here's what that says about you. You do not have your own best interests in mind. That's what it says about you. It says that you really don't care (laughs) how your life turns out. And I just can't believe that's true, or else I don't know why you'd be here otherwise. Now, if you don't have your own best interests in mind, I just would ask the question, who will? And if it's true that God inspired this teaching, and if it's true that God inspired this question, is it possible that God has your best interest in mind more than you have your best interest in mind. And if you don't have your best interest in mind, one day you're going to wake up relationally, professionally, financially, maritally, parentally, in your job, in a place that you don't want to be. And I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I don't do that here. I don't get up here and say, you got to do this and you got to do that. I'm just telling you, this is an easier, better way. This will make your life better. I'm just trying to help you to see that God loves you and he wants what's best for you and he has given you some wisdom here. So say it with me one last time. Let's all say it together. In light of my past experience, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? Will you ask that question? I'm telling you, this question has changed my life made me a better husband it's made me a better pastor it's made me a better financial planner (laughs) that's a joke just right there by itself but I am better I I can tell you I'm better I'm better than I would have been it's changed my life it'll change your life let's pray together father I love these people man do I love these people and I want them to have a rich full good life I want them to have a minimum amount of problems and I want everything to be maximized in their life I want them to I want it to be full I want it to be full of joy and laughter and money and experiences and fun and friends I want all that for them and all of that is more possible when we ask this question and we take it seriously, and we act on it. And God, this week, if they just would ask the question and get used to it, that's what we're after. So Father, would you be speaking to us as we're asking the question, what is the wise thing for me to do?
We pray all this in the precious, glorious, holy name of Jesus and all God's people said.